HSD are experts in delivering tech solutions to the vet sector, working with clients such as the Department of Education, Skills and Employment, ASQA and the VRQA. HSD understand the complexities of VET, its systems and data. We specialise in systems integration, customer relationship management systems, Microsoft platforms and migrating organisations to the cloud. So whether you're looking for advice on integrating your systems, meeting your data reporting requirements or looking to gain insights into your stakeholders, HSD are here to help. Visit hsd.com.au or follow us on LinkedIn. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Episode 77, and this week I spoke with Michael Hui, the Managing Director of Arowana Australasia. Arowana is an organisation which owns and operates a number of listed and unlisted companies in Australia and globally. They're sort of like a private equity or venture capital firm, but also definitely not. <clears throat> and you'll find out more as, as Michael explains. Now, what we didn't touch on, but what I think is important, they're also a B Corp certified business, meaning if you're not familiar with that um, terminology, they meet a set of international standards for social and environmental performance, accountability, governance and transparency. And the reason I had Michael uh, or I invited him onto the podcast is to talk about their different education businesses as well as their renewable energy business um, here in Australia. If you want an example of how a larger Australian private vet provider is diversifying and changing to meet the skill needs of employers and individuals and governments, as it turns out, in the changing world of work, then I think you'll find Michael's insights particularly helpful. And of course, if you currently provide training um, in the renewable energy sector or you want to learn more about it, then I think, again, you'll find Michael's comments will be of interest. Here he is. Well, it is my great pleasure today to be joined by Michael Hui, who is the Managing Director Australasia at Arowana. And he's going to share some insights in terms of both uh, training and upskilling, but also a bit on renewable energy. So I think there's quite a lot in our conversation that people are going to find very interesting. And Michael, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. I always ask my guests when first time I have them on, when they come back, they don't have to do this. But first time I have them on, tell us a little bit about who you are, your career um, and your current role. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm a lawyer by training, but don't hold that against me. And I um, I practiced for a bit over, tw- a bit over 10 years, um, predominantly in sort of corporate and commercial law. Um, but was fortunate to work for a firm that sort of gave me very early exposure to um, to clients, but also a very wide range of areas, so a, quite a wide sort of practice. And um, after after my period in the law, I went uh, in-house for a little bit uh, and then more in sort of corporate development, so strategy and M&A uh, in the technology space. Um, and out of that, um, ended up sort of after that period, 
briefly running my own firm and through that ended up with a client called Arowana um, and uh, helped them on a number of things, but that also included setting up a venture capital uh, fund for them in terms of the structuring of that. And through that, got to talking to them about what they were, were planning to do. And my interest ultimately always lay in more the commercial side than the legal side. I much prefer to be the client rather than have a client. Um, and uh, and so sort of very quickly shifted across. Well, I guess I was working as a consultant to them. They offered me a role and I very quickly shifted across. And I've never been the in-house counsel or <clears throat> pardon me or anything like that for Arowana and occasionally for uh, uh, for my sins I do I have to look at a few legal things but but the vast majority of my time at Arowana which is <clears throat> pardon me now been a bit over 11 years has been uh, on the commercial side and, and on the investment side and um, initially the more early stage venture capital uh, space and, and and that was sort of 10 plus years ago now uh, and the startup scene in Australia was fairly, still fairly nascent, particularly in Queensland. But over time, uh, evolved more into where uh, Arowana's, I guess, sweet spot or experience is, which is around more mature uh, businesses, more of, I guess, a, a, we don't like to use the term, but more sort of private equity style uh, opportunities. And so Arowana had, well, before I get to what Arowana is doing, because it covers a range of different industries, I just want to give an observation. I'm sure I'm probably not the first one, but to say that you were interested in M&A activity and then you were doing work with Arowana and really you've done your very own successful M&A activity with them uh, through them uh, recruiting you and now you're um, heading up the show for them. So that's quite nice. Um, so Arowana, who are they and what do, what do they do? Yeah, sure. So Arowana's... Um, an investment group, and we started, uh, I think, about now 14 years ago. Um, and we're a little different in that we're not structured. And I guess this is the technical side initially, which unfortunately that's okay. We can start with. there. <laughs> yeah, that's all good. <laughs> we're not structured as a fund, so we don't have most most private equity or venture capital firms will be structured as as a succession of funds. And so they'll have to get their capital in from their investors. Those funds have timelines. They need to deploy it. They need to get it back and then return it and sort of go again. And we take a longer-term view on opportunities. So we have various different investment structures we use, um, and it allows us to take that sort of longer-term view. We don't have to uh, get the capital in and get it out uh, so quickly. So um, there's about um, 30 people across Arowana now, and that's sort of ebbed and flowed over time. We, our sort of core mandate, if you like, is um, buying uh, and operating uh, businesses. And those businesses tend to be in what we would call the lower mid-market. So typically they're making sort of $1 to $10 million of EBITDA. So that's mm -hmm. earnings before interest tax, depreciation, amortisation, a measure of profitability. Um, and then we tend to look at how we can um, add those businesses to other businesses, obviously, and, and grow a platform as we have with AdventureCo. Um, we've we've done various things in education over the, over the years. Um, we're in renewables, as you as you mentioned um, earlier, uh, but we've done things as varied as as traffic control, um, events, uh, businesses, um, non-destructive testing, electrical services. So quite a broad range. We're not um, industry specific. There are a few industries we don't look at um, because they tend to be too cyclical, so mining resources, property, things like that. 
Um, but but we'll, we'll tend to look at most things uh, and we're not afraid of getting our hands dirty. And I think probably Mark makes us a little different is that we we have an operations team as well that, that gets quite involved with uh, our businesses and we tend to be a very active owner of those businesses. So we say we're an owner and an operator <laughs> rather than just merely, um, I suppose, an investor. Fascinating. Thank you. I mean, I've known about you for a while, but I didn't know all of that. So um, I, I found that super interesting and I'm sure our listeners would as well. So you talked very briefly, Arowana owns businesses in renewable energy and electric vehicles, right? Very much, you know, uh, where the world is heading. And it's also a priority, obviously, for our new federal government. They've put $100 million into new energy apprenticeships and new energy skills programs. Um, can you describe what kind of changes that you're seeing in the shift to more renewables and the kind of skills that the energy sector is going to need as they go through that transition? Yeah, sure. And, and I have been taking, I guess, a really, uh, I guess, skills-focused uh, view on this because of obviously what we're doing uh, at Adventure Co. And, um, and, and also a fairly Queensland-centric view given where I'm sort of based uh, and, of course, with all the layers of government we, we, we have, um, it can be hard to get across what every other uh, state is doing. So you know, I think it's been really interesting and we have seen uh, over the last couple of years both the Queensland government obviously increase its focus in the space, um, which has been, I imagine, quite difficult for a, a Labor government uh, with its traditional base in, in the unions and, of course, uh, a lot of coal mines uh, um, and we haven't sold off any of our generators uh, in Queensland, so a lot of government workers in those sectors as well. And, and so they've had to stage it in, in a way to sort of tr transition, I suppose, without alienating that base. And it, it all sort of makes sense. And, of, and obviously, as you mentioned, with the change of federal government and the commitment by them, we've really seen, a, I guess, a stabilisation in the investment landscape for renewables in Australia more broadly uh, over the last few years. And the projects are really starting to, to flow. And um, what has been really interesting, and it's really dominated around two areas in terms of solar uh, and hydrogen, uh, particularly in Queensland, uh, or and wind to a lesser degree, probably in other states. Um, but but what I've seen is, for instance, I saw a stat from I think it was uh, CSQ, Social Construction Skills Queensland, that said there are about thirty thousand construction workers working on renewable projects in Australia right now they estimate we'll need another 30,000 in Queensland alone to fulfil the pipeline of projects that are already approved. Um, and that's sort of starting on stream in about 2025. Mm -hmm. um, it's an enormous um, increase in the number of workers in that sector. Now, obviously, construction's um, are quite uh, peaky right now in terms of both um, you know, the residential sector, although they tend to be seen, I guess, as building rather than construction, if you like, but also in commercial uh, and infrastructure. So there's a huge skill shortage in that space, as I'm sure we all know. And um, a lot of those jobs are going to be, more than half will be in regional areas because a lot of these projects were obviously based in regional areas. And they tend to be split. The largest demand is obviously around um, just general construction labour. Uh, but then into, I suppose, what you would describe as more skilled uh, areas, so electricians, concreters, machinery operators uh, and the like. So any, anything you typically see around significant uh, infrastructure projects, but probably with a 
slightly larger emphasis, obviously, on electricians, given um, the nature of these projects, I suppose. So uh, an enormous um, pipeline of projects that requires an enormous increase uh, in the training we're doing in those spaces in a sector where we already have significant and long-standing skill shortages. It's It'll be fascinating to see, I guess, if, if the demand can ever be met um, and then the flow-on effect that obviously has in terms of the the renewable sector and the ability to bring these projects on onto stream. Mm. And I've been thinking about uh, as much as we need that huge uplift in in new workers coming through for for all of these projects. There's also a, a I presume a ton of work to be done to reskill or um, add some additional skills to existing workers. So if you are an electrician, there's some particular things to know about. EVs and batteries and solar, et cetera, which may not have been covered when you did your electrician's course 10 years ago even. So, so I guess that's going to be an, um, an additional piece for the, the vet sector to, to try and meet those retraining needs as well. I think that's right. And I think the other issue is that, that regional issue in terms of you know, large infrastructure projects tend to happen where large populations are based. Um, but the renewable sector is probably closer to mining, if you like, where uh, it happens in remote areas or regional areas. Uh, and we're going to need to incentivize people to move out to these areas to do these projects. And they're, they're not as long, I suppose, as building a rail line or building a road or probably building a power station. You know, a solar farm that we work on in our business might take six to nine months typically to construct. Uh, and that might be, that's an hour's drive out of Chinchilla. Um, and, and where do you go after that? If you don't roll on to another project, where do you move to? And it's a six-day-a-week work program, so it's not really suited uh, to a fly-in, fly-out or a commute. So there's a real challenge around how these projects can be structured and then staffed in the regional areas and you, and you incentivize people to move there. And even if you can, the next project may not be in that regional area. It may be in a different regional area. Um, yeah. And as a cost, as a consequence, I should say that so the finding even right now, before a lot of these projects really come on stream, before they break ground on any of them, getting resources, getting people uh, is incredibly difficult, whether it's electricians or um, unskilled labour effectively to work as, as labourers. And we're very reliant upon, and this is maybe why cafes and restaurants complaining about not having people available, is we use a lot of what we would traditionally term backpackers. Uh, people on working holiday visas um, who can work uh, at very high rates of pay uh, for, say, a three-month stint or a six-month stint and then basically go and have a holiday for three months and not need to work during that time. Yeah, and I think you were speaking at a conference and mentioned it might have been Chinchilla or another uh, regional Queensland location. It's sort of what you've also touched on there is the flow on impact. While all those re those workers are in the region doing the work on the, the solar plant or, or, or other um, construction piece, they need accommodation, they need food, they need a whole... So there's a, a real thinking about how to support this work activity um, in these regional areas. And like you say, it's not ongoing for 10, mm. 20, 40 years, however long a mine might last for. These are shorter projects, but nonetheless, while they're underway, there's some huge resourcing issues and challenges. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I saw it when I when we went, I was up out at Chinchilla a couple of months ago and Wednesday night and we were just looking for a, a place to go and get a steak and, and the pub 
we had a queue out out the out the door, um, yeah. which I'm sure is not the typical Chinchilla Hotel sort of Wednesday night crowd. So it, it's incredible the impact it has upon these um, upon these towns, and and perhaps, and there, I'm sure there's a degree of strategy around it in terms of building some hubs. Chinchilla is clearly one of those hubs, but I suppose a little like mining, you, you ultimately have to go where the where the resource is, and um, you know some of the sort of projects that we've been looking at um, are, are further afield, much further afield than Chinchilla, and and there is simply no accommodation available. There is no local infrastructure available. It's sort of remote mining camp style um, um, sort of accommodation uh, for people, and so that becomes another challenge there as well. Amazing. Very interesting. Well, I will watch uh, with from a long distance uh, <laughs> with, with, with interest. Now, you and I first crossed paths with your holding on uh, or ownership of um, Adventure Co., which mm. is uh, started off, I think, with um, traditional sort of RTOs. It's got some non-accredited tech courses and more that you've built um, around mm. it. But but I guess at its heart, there is a really strong emphasis on IT and digital skills and uh, yeah, industry certified as well as formal vets. So can you talk us through your decision making to um, to offer uh, a high number of these industry certified courses. What's the employer demand? Is VET not meeting those needs? And what could or should or sh- don't bother um, VET doing to try and better meet those those IT digital skills hmm. needs? Yeah. So if I go back to the start, we we started putting Adventure Co together in 2016 at the height of the VET fee help crisis, and our view then was. I guess a classic investor's view, a contrarian investor's view that there were certainly some businesses that had done some very bad things, um, but the entire sector uh, had been tarnished with that same sort of brush. And um, we, we acquired two RTOs within six months of each other in the building construction sector um, and got into running those and then saw, well, where else, thought, where else can we um, expand our group? Um, and you know, in the investment space that we work in, you it's nice to have a thesis. You all need a thesis about where it's going and it's nice to go and proactively source opportunities, but about 50% of the opportunities we tend to look at are ones that we've gone out and sourced actively and, and then 50% would be the sort of reactive ones that come to us. And this is one that, that came to us. And uh, when we acquired DDLS, I should say, and DDLS is a lot, Australia's largest uh, vendor certified IT training business. And we hadn't really looked at that sector to any degree, but as we dug into it, as we were looking at the opportunity, we thought oh, this is a fantastic space because um, I think it was quite clear then we weren't, we didn't have any sort of great insights that anybody else didn't have or didn't already know, but clearly the rise of the cloud and the digitalization of industry was, was, was starting off. Uh, and these training businesses and the demand for the skills that they train in would, would continue to rise. So we had a fantastic tailwind there. Um, we could see it was an education business in the same way that our two RTOs were, but obviously in a very different space, um, completely uh, non-accredited, um, completely fee-for-service um, and very focused on an enterprise and government uh, customer. And so um, we had that opportunity and we ultimately invested in that space. And as we did more work in it and invested in, and I guess spent more time in the industry, we, we, we started to particularly like the industry, both from 
I guess the dynamics of an investor wanting to acquire other businesses in it, in that there weren't many or there aren't many large players. Um, and uh, also that, frankly, uh, running a business where you're not beholden to government regulation um, in the sense of your licence to operate uh, was, was very attractive and gave you more flexibility. Um, and so what we found over time, and of course we developed our thesis over time and more and more research came out on the future of work and you needed two types of skills, digital skills and soft skills. And so hence, while well, we started concentrating some of our efforts there, but I think coming, I'm sorry, that was a very long way to come to answer your question, but, but I think what we found and what we find in DDLS is that we're typically servicing, we're typically training uh, IT professionals and we're typically running courses of three to five days uh, for those people. And so they're not looking for uh, an accredited style course or even a unit of competency. And they're typically, um, vendor certified IT training means that they are training in a particular product or a particular framework. And so if, um, a corporate makes a decision to change their architecture or move their cloud, let's say from AWS to Azure, the Microsoft solution, all of their IT team needs to train in, in Azure. And that introductory course might be three to five days, and then they can do the next level up and the next level up. And there is a um, there is a, a framework that, that Microsoft has developed and an ability to sort of staircase up into seniority uh, through those courses as well. And so it just doesn't suit the format of an accredited course. Uh, and it can be a challenge, I think, probably for accredited courses to keep up with the way the technology uh, develops uh, as well in this space and new products come out. Um, and what we did though, was we saw that we were training IT professionals, but in doing so, not really addressing the skill shortage or the demand for new workers uh, in that area. Mm -hmm. So we were reskilling people, but they were already IT professionals. They weren't career changing and they weren't new people coming into the industry. So we started a business called the Australian Institute of ICT, and that was very much with the aim of taking people who were entirely new to the industry, whether they were starting in a career for the first time or they wanted to change uh, careers. And we offered a combination, or we offer a combination of uh, non-accredited boot camps, so typically lasting six months, uh, predominantly online but with a blended uh, model as well, uh, and then we also offer accredited courses, so uh, Cert 4s and diplomas uh, in IT and web development. And um, we combine with those some industry certifications as well. And they typically run 12 to, they obviously run 12 to 18 months, but the same delivery model. And what we found over time is they sell almost equally. Um, and it tends to be, we tend to see people who are starting a career for the first time or have been out of work uh, for a period of time and re-entering the workforce, prefer the accredited product. Uh, and I think that's appropriate because when you think about everything else that typically goes into a uh, cert four or a diploma, there are, I think, think units that condition you for or prepare you for working in a workplace. Um, whereas the bootcamp model, six months long, is directly about the skills you need to do this job uh, and this job specifically. Uh, and we tend to find that people are looking, the people are looking who are looking to change career prefer the boot camp model because they're taking a risk and they're not willing to invest 12 to 18 months of their time. And I should say the pricing is almost exactly the same. Uh, and they're working at the same time. Uh, and so the shorter period that they have while they're both working and studying tends to be more attractive to them. So that's how we found that uh, evolve uh, over time. 
fascinating. And you have also done uh, some work, I think one of your acquisitions, and the name escapes me for the moment, but is also more in the soft skills area. Have I got that right? Yeah. With Future of Work, we saw the digital skills and we could see we were pretty well covered there and, and, and always opportunities come along, but we wanted to cover the soft skills piece as well. And we, our businesses um, are, are primarily focused on customers who are enterprise and government. And so we wanted to see what they were, were, were using. And so we've acquired two businesses in our soft skills vertical with um, a business called ENS, which is a negotiation training business. So it, tends, yes. yeah, so it tends to work with um, very large mining or pharmaceutical companies, similar packaging companies who have, as you can imagine, very large contracts where they're either selling or procurement contracts, buying five years worth of cardboard for making how many billions of boxes they must make a year. So, or you can imagine mining companies negotiating long-term supply uh, agreements. And so it's it's very um, premium uh, uh, niche-focused training that tends to become embedded in the way that those particular teams within those companies work, but it's not a negotiation training course that every single person within the, the company would do. The other one that we just bought uh, at the start of August was Plain English Foundation, uh, which was a fascinating uh, business. I didn't know you could build a business in something as niche as this, but um, um, the, the, the people who sold us the business certainly have and have done a fascinating, a really great job. And that is in um, clear communication, training people to write clearly. Um, and as you can well imagine, um, their uh, majority of their revenue is government uh, uh, focused uh, and training, effectively training public servants uh, how to write uh, or how to write clearly. Uh, and What's really interesting in this space is seeing how there is now uh, an international standard, an ISO standard coming out in clear communication. Uh, We've seen, I think, in the last month, New Zealand actually pass a law uh, about that. Um, And and the underlying trend is that as government is making more and more government, making more of its services self-service, so through the internet, uh, obviously, through the web, um, and and people are dealing less face-to-face, of course, or on the phone with government, the way in which government presents that information has to be very clear. Otherwise, people can't access those services or eventually they pick up the phone and then have to go through the higher cost way of providing those services. So uh, there's a real um, driver there from government to try and make communication both internally but also with we, the taxpayer, uh, far clearer. How interesting. Thank you so much for um, sharing all of that as I think across changing world of work, how the world is changing, more renewables, more technology disruption and the changing role of government. It's kind of like you're helping uh, facilitate all all of those shifts and changes. And I'm enormously grateful to you for sharing your insights um, and ideas, not just with me, but uh, with listeners to the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. It's been terrific. Oh, thanks, Claire. No, I appreciate having me.